Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. We have so many different topics to talk about today. Dansby Swanson is hitting, and so is George Springer, and so is Hunter Pence, and wait for it, so is Chris Davis. That is Chris with a C, Baltimore Oriole Chris Davis. And then we're going to talk about a couple of pitchers. Uh, We know Hyunjin Ryu is awesome, but Lucas Giolito has been pitching well. What's happening in baseball? And finally, uh, we're going to end with the Seattle Mariner defense. They have been pretty brutal, but there is one reason I will give you that they are not quite as bad as you might think. And we're going to start with Dansby Swanson, who has been like, I don't want to conflate like hitting better and hitting phenomenally because it's not the same thing. But he's hitting well. He's been an above-average hitter so far this year. Uh, he's got a 268 batting average, 333 on base, 486 slugging. He's been about 10% better than league average. Uh, that's pretty good because he's a good fielding shortstop. And if you remember, Dansby Swanson has generally been not very good for the last two years. And I ran the numbers, and he is, in terms of expected weighted on base, so that's accounting for quality of contact and amount of contact, the second most improved hitter in baseball this year. Behind, no surprise, Cody Bellinger, who is playing baseball on a completely different plane of existence. Uh, now, one caveat here. It's easy to improve when you haven't been that good. Mike Trout cannot improve by this much. Uh, Dansby Swanson, in the last two years, 2017-2018, there were 177 guys with 1,000 plate appearances. The only guys with worse lines than him, Alcides Escobar, Billy Hamilton, and Chris Davis. Chris with a C, Baltimore Oriole. Chris Davis, uh, but Dansby Swanson has been improved. So we looked at every hitter who's got at least 100 plate appearances the last two years. Like I said, uh, Bellinger number one. Dansby Swanson is up by nearly 100 points of expected weighted on base from last year's 278 to this year's 373. Uh, The guys behind him on that list, Hunter Dozier, George Springer, and Josh Bell. That's that's good. This is a guy who has that number one overall pick and sort of seemed like it wasn't going to pan out. And, you know, it goes back to a topic we've, we've discussed a few times on the show, which is, you know, a lot of these prospects in the last few years have come on and been stars instantly, like his teammate Ronald Acuna Jr. But then some guys, it takes them a little while. We're seeing it with Vlad Guerrero Jr. right now. You know, we saw, you know, the, the classic example I give nowadays is Xander Bogarts. It kind of took him a few years to figure it out. And once you factor in that um, Swanson – had some wrist issues that might have slowed him down. It's not hard to see why, hey, number one overall draft pick turning out to be pretty good at the age of 25 isn't that shocking of a result, but it's 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 good to see. Yeah, when I think of high draft pick who was insanely rushed, probably to his detriment, the first name that comes to mind, I think, is Mike Zunino because he went up right to Seattle, and it took him a while to get it together. Um, Swanson, his first year in 2016, I remember he was drafted uh, number one overall in 2015, was traded to Atlanta like, six months later whatever it was in the winter winter meetings of 2000 that, that year i remember it very vividly yeah in the uh the ill-fated shelby miller deal uh don't forget ender and Ciarte went to atlanta as well and that's one of those deals where the moment it was made everybody was like oh no what are you doing and then it only got worse because miller got hurt and he didn't pitch well uh and Ciarte became a very good uh outfielder though he's not hitting much this year and you know swanson was the number one overall pick and that first year 2016 he comes up played 38 games at the end of the season hit well 302 361 442. Now, it seemed pretty clear that was not sustainable. He had a 383 batting average on balls in play. He's back now into his normal 290 range. Uh, but when you think about you know, process improvements, like the expected weighted on base, which we talked about, there's really four things that you can do to improve that number. You can strike out less, which he has. He's down from 23% to 20%. You can walk more, which he has. He's up from 8% to 9%. You can hit the ball harder, which he is by a lot. He's up from 34% to 46%. And you can hit fewer grounders, which he is. He's down to 39%. 
from 44%. I thought this is pretty fun. We uh, we have a stack cast metric we call a barrel. It is the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle. It's good to hit the ball hard. It's also good to hit the ball hard off the ground. Last year, in 533 plate appearances, Swanson had 15 barrels. This year, in 162 plate appearances, he has 15 barrels. <laughs> I'm not That's, sure you uh, can explain it any that better kinda, than that. That, Exactly. That tells the story uh, pretty well right there. Uh, as you said, he did have wrist issues last year. He, uh, I kind of forgot about this until I looked it up. He missed... The National League Division Series. Uh, Charlie Culberson had to step in and play shortstop. But they, they're they're basically identical twins, so that's why yes. I didn't notice. Nobody, that's exactly right. Uh, he had surgery in the offseason, and um, he he also has made some very clear changes to his stance with hitting coach Kevin Seitzer. If you compare him this year to last year, his stance is much more open. Uh, his hands are lower, and you know I'm sure wrist health plays a lot into this. But also look at this in terms of plate discipline. No player in baseball has cut their chase rate as much as Swanson has. Last year he went after 35% of pitches outside the zone. This year it's 24%. As you would imagine, he has a massive difference in production inside the zone and out. There's a difference of 150 points of batting average and 300 points of slugging. Make contact at good pitches. Not at bad pitches. It's the way you want to be. And if I may give a uh, a plug, Mike did a piece about Dansby Swanson, which is featured on uh, MLB.com and uh, Braves.com today. And there's a good side-by-side breakdown where it shows his stance last year versus this year. And the difference is very clear. Yes, I love turning articles into podcast topics because it means I don't have to do double the research. It's wonderful. Um, I'm not buying Swanson as like a, a you know, Bellinger-esque all-star. You know, again, he's only... 10% above the average as a hitter, uh, but he's a good shortstop and he's, he's good on the bases. So what I tried to do, and I know it's only been part, part of a season, is I looked for guys who've had a season like he's having so far. So in the 21st century, there have been 14 shortstops who've had a season, you know, on a, f- a full season, a 500 plate appearance season, uh, where their, uh, their offensive value was between 10 and 20% better than average. So good, but not insane and defensive value. And there's only been 14 guys who've done it. Jimmy Rollins MVP 2007 was kind of an outlier, but that was one of them. You have guys like J.J. Hardy, uh, Francisco Lindor before he started pounding the ball, uh, Crawford, Peralta, like these four to five win seasons. That's really good. That is, it's not like I wouldn't put him up with Lindor right now, but four to five win, that I'll take that. I mean, Barry Larkin wrote a career 116 OPS plus to the Hall of Fame. So. Well, there, I, I would I would argue with that, but yes, he did. Um, anyway, it's it's a good sign for a Braves team. Um, that is sort of like what, 500-ish and floating around in the NL East without doing much of anything. Yeah, I mean, you're, you, you've you sort of been expecting – we've been expecting this for a couple of years, and I'm sure there's definitely a bit of sigh of relief in the Braves front office that they're finally getting the Dansby Swanson that you know they kind of expected when they traded for him. Yeah, uh, moving on to the Astros, who, by the way, are on pace to be the best offense in the history of baseball. Um, there's definitely a, a huge it's May caveat there. I wasn't surprised to see that George Springer was hitting the ball – better but i was surprised to see by how much he is absolutely destroying the ball so he has the biggest increase in hard hit rate in baseball of anybody this year he is up by nearly 20 percentage points just ahead of anthony rendon josh bell and jordy mercer somehow that's not a name i would have expected <laughs> to see there well uh again we we're talking about increases in a hard hit rate yeah. you've got a lot of room to grow well that's true yeah but i mean he just uh in April, uh, Springer's hard hit rate was 57.8%, which was the highest for his career in a month. Right now, he's at about 55% halfway through May, which would be the second highest in his career for a month. So he's at a level he's never been at before. Yeah. Uh, strung together two like 
incredible hard hit rates in a row. I'm looking at this this uh, hard hit rate by month chart that Sarah Langs tweeted out, and I know it's a podcast and you can't see this, but I encourage you to go look for it uh, because visually it is stunning. It's like three or four straight years of kind of in the same range, and now here he is like a million miles higher than that. I don't have a good answer as to why. I mean, George Springer's always been a pretty talented guy, a top, top five pick, a star for a uh, a World Series champion, but it is something else this year for him. It's it's similar to you know, what you're talking about with um with uh, Swanson before, how he's already like matched his uh, his total for barrels uh, for all of last year. Last year, Springer had 22 home runs all of last year. He already has 15 this year. I'm looking at this list we have here of highest slugging percentage against breaking balls, and the names are really funny. So number one, George Springer, right? 804 slugging. 804 slugging on curveballs. He is mashing. Sorry, breaking balls. And and that's a good thing, right? The league as a whole is throwing fewer fastballs, so if you want to succeed, uh, throw more. uh, Smash breaking balls. Okay, I'm going to skip number two for a second. Number three is Wilson Contreras. Okay, he's having a great year. Number four is Hunter Pence, we're going to talk about in a second. Number five is Christian Yelich. Okay, fine. How many guesses, if you hadn't had this list in front of you, would I need to give you before you could tell me the number two man on this list of highest slugging percentage against breaking balls, minimum of 30 at-bats. I could tell you the team, and I still don't think you could get it within the first 10 it, guesses. It's just 30 at-bats ending with breaking balls. Yes, I would not right. have. I would not, even if you gave me the team, I would not have gotten it. But I did not realize that uh, Rymel Tapia is hitting 313, 352, 626 this season in 105 plate appearances and slugging 781 on breaking Where balls. Where is that? And course, he's fast. Course, course and- field or not. That is an impressive number. And he's fast, and he should really be playing every day instead of Ian Desmond. One big change for Springer is he's swinging at the first pitch a lot more, swinging 38% of the time at the first pitch from uh, 30% last year, and he's slugging 824 when he does put the first pitch in play. So on that list, I uh, I mentioned Hunter Pence, and I'm really enjoying the Hunter Pence renaissance. Revival. You know, he he really seemed like a guy who that was kind of it last year. Like, he had this good run. Uh, but last year, he only played 97 games because he hurt his thumb at 226, 258, 332. Like, it's sub-replacement level. Uh, and the year before, he'd played the whole year, but he just wasn't very good. Uh, and then the year, and the two years before that, he'd been hurt all the time. Like, his last full, very good season was 2014. He's 36 years old. So he sort of thought, okay, that was, that was a fun run for a really enjoyable player. Uh, but that's probably that. Well... Hunter Pence did not agree with that, apparently. Uh, he went and worked with Doug Latta, the private hitting coach, the guy who's turned around. Justin Turner, we've talked about him a lot. He is one of the coaches who, you know, preaches, I hate to say the launch angle revolution, but, you know, getting on plane with a swing. Uh, and he helped Mac Williamson, who for a brief shining moment was pounding the ball last year for the Giants before he got hurt. And as the story goes, uh, Hunter Pence last year with the Giants noticed that Mac Williamson had this new swing and was really interested in it. So he goes and he spends a lot of the winter with Doug Latta and he gets healthy. And Hunter Pence so far, it's only been 90 plate appearances, is hitting 316, 389 with a 658 slugging. He's actually not hitting fewer ground balls. It's about the same, but he is hitting the ball really hard. Uh, he has... You know, you'd think like this early on, oh, it's just, it's small sample, batted ball lock, right? Not really. He's a 435 weighted on base, and he has a 417 expected weighted on base. Like he's earning all of this. Uh, he is 14th in expected weighted on base. He's better than Alex Bregman or Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo. I get it. Not as many plate appearances. I do not expect him to keep this up. Um, but this is a guy who is finally healthy. I mean, listen to this litany of injuries he'd had over the last few years. A thumb in 2018, hamstring the previous two years 2015 alone an oblique injury a wrist injury and a fractured forearm Um, he's not young anymore I don't think he's a great outfielder he's mostly DHing but it certainly feels like he is going to be 
like a a bit player on I don't know Cleveland or somebody who could desperately use an outfield bat. Oh, for sure, he's so, going to end up on a on a team in an independent race in the second half. And it was cool this offseason. He went to the Dominican, yeah, to sort of try out his new swing. You don't do that at that point in your it, career. It's, it was cool to see, and I wonder if that's going to be he's going to set a trend in the next couple of years. We'll see a lot more of these these veterans who kind of have you know maybe waited on waited a little longer in the offseason for for contracts go to the Dominican to stay sharp and kind of show like, Hey, I still, I, I still got it. Or maybe I changed my swing and uh, you're, you're going to want me on my team. As I remember, he made the Rangers like the, as one of the last cuts over Willie Calhoun, I think, who, you know, top rated prospect. And um, I don't think that was very popular because everybody wants to see Willie Calhoun. Hunter Pence has really, really been good. I'm excited to see if he can keep this up. Um, and also what team he's probably going to end up on. I can't think of a better, you're going to trade this guy soon candidate. Yeah. The, the, the Indians is a, is a, is a fantastic call. Um, you know, also Pence comes with, you know, he's generally considered a good clubhouse guy. So I could see any number of, of contenders wanting him. Um, we had to talk about Chris Davis. Now I forgot to write down exactly how many plate appearances he went dating back to last year without a hit. It was like 60 something. It was a lot. I mean, he had gone a good deal of time without a hit. So for the, uh, for the first 62 consecutive plate appearances. There you go. And he had no hits uh, for the first 12 games of this year uh, in his first 38 plate appearances, zero hits, five walks, right? It would be easy to write off Chris Davis. Cause last year he had one of the, you know, worst seasons in the history of baseball. In his last 21 games, 70 plate appearances, 290, 371, 581. This is not batted ball luck. He has a 371 expected weighted on base that is better than Pham, Schwarber, Soto, Ronald Acuna, Andrew Benatendi since April 13th. I get it. Three weeks. Um, but when you're coming from as far down as Chris Davis was, it's kind of cool to see him bouncing back a bit here. I mean, he still hits the ball hard. He is 91st percentile in hard hit. So, I compared his first 12 games of this season, where, again, he had zero hits, to the next 21 games, where he's playing really well. Uh, he's swinging a little bit more. He's up a couple of points. But what was interesting to me is he's getting challenged way more. First pitch strike before was 42%. Now it's 62%, which sort of shows me that player, pitchers didn't really respect him that much. And they're like, we're just going to throw you strikes because you can't get a hit. Um, and to his credit, he's he's doing a good job with it. Uh, he's actually seeing way fewer fastballs, which is interesting though. 10% uh, fewer fastballs and more curves. And here's a fun game I was thinking about. I, I know this is ludicrous to think about, but it's also fun. The Orioles are not a very good team this year. They do not have a lot of very good players this year. What would have to happen for Chris Davis to be the Orioles all-star? Now, What's going to happen is that Trey Mancini is going to make the All-Star team because he's hitting 318, 366, 547. And if it's not him, it's probably John Means, who's been actually pretty good, 233 ERA. Or, or Dwight Smith Jr. has been pretty good. It's not going to be Dwight Smith. No, it's not going to be, no. Uh, no other Baltimore pitcher, aside from John Means, has 20 innings and an ERA below four. It's not a good pitching staff. Um, if Mancini got traded, or if he got injured, or if he went on a Chris Davis-esque streak of not getting a hit, what would have to happen for Chris Davis to be the Baltimore Orioles all-star representative in like two months time? He would certainly have to keep hitting like he's hitting right yes, now. Yes, uh, absolutely. That's the, And then the other factor to consider is that first base in the AL is a weird group of players, uh -huh. whereas outfield, is, which is where Mancini would be competing, is kind of stacked. So I mean, neither of these guys is going to win the fan vote, right? But if you're looking at the AL all-stars in the outfield, you start quickly with Trout, Springer, Joey Gallo, Mookie Betts. Um, you've got Buxton, you've got Fam, you've got JD Martinez. You've got all sorts of like big name players that like are going to take up slots. Whereas first base, you've got 
Yandy Diaz, Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Abreu, Mitch Moreland, Luke Voigt, Carlos Santana. So there's only actually only according to Fangraphs, there's only one player in the AL, only one first baseman with a <clears throat> with a WAR above one. So and who's, that's that's Yanni Diaz. Who, who's going to win the fan vote? Could be could be Luke Voigt. You think? Could be Luke Voigt. Miggy. I think he's popular. True, but anyway, the point point being, it's not crazy to think of a scenario in which Chris Davis makes the All Star team, and that's fun. Um, I got to think about this for a second. I'm looking at the first baseman, and it's sort of hard to know where some of these guys are going to qualify. Is Yandy Diaz a first baseman or a third baseman? Like on the, on the ballot, right? Like, I don't know. What no, that's no, yeah, the ballot has not come out yet. I don't know what that's coming out, look coming like. out soon. There's there's a shorter ballot window this year. You might be right about Luke Voigt, but there's so many. Well, I guess usually I would say there's so many Yankees, and maybe that's not true this year. Um, Jose Abreu, I, I guess, is probably the best, right? Like he's having a really good year for the White Sox, and there's maybe not a ton of other good White Sox candidates. Yeah, yeah, you know, Moncada. Moncada, okay, yeah, I guess American League. Altuve is not having a great year. Cano got dealt out of the league. Well, anyway, Abreu, Moncada could be the White Sox. I say White Sox because that is a good transition to our next topic, which is Lucas Giolito, who's a, a topic on this podcast for a few a few years now. Here, let's let's give the brief history of Lucas Giolito takes on this podcast. He was uh, obviously a top pick of the Nationals. He was traded to the White Sox in the Adam Eaton deal. And uh, he had pitched for the for the Nationals very briefly that year. And, you know, you're not going to put too much stock in, what did he have, 10 innings, something like that. But it was they were really unimpressive innings. Like yeah. he, he, he was not missing any bats. The velocity wasn't there. Uh, and the spin rate was really low. So we kind of looked at that and said, okay, small sample, no doubt. Um, but the skills just don't seem there. And he has spent most of the last three years, uh, not being that good. And we, I think a lot of people had sort of given up on him uh, making it. And by the way, brutal week for the White Sox. <laughs> Carlos Rodon, Rodon goes under the knife. Uh, who else was it? Nate oh, Nate Jones, Jones uh, Micker Adolfo. Like, well, let's focus on the positive. I mean, yeah. the big thing with with, with, with um, Giolito was not just the spin rate. It was also like when he was a prospect, he was kind of this considered this guy who threw really, really hard. And then he got to the big leagues and he was like, this big righty who was like throwing ninety one, right? It's kind of like, well, what's what's going on and, here? And the curveball is supposed to be this big secondary pitch, uh, and that never really worked. So last year he had a six thirteen ERA, uh, a five fifty six fielding independent pitching. You look at expected weighted on base, he was below average, and maybe most damning of all, a sixteen percent strikeout rate in a world where the league average was like twenty two percent. This year he's been pretty good, three fifty five ERA. That's really good, uh, an above average expected weighted on base hard hit rate has remained unchanged at about average but he has the biggest upgrade in strikeout rate of any pitcher who threw at least 100 innings last year and has 30 innings this year he is up from 16 percent to 29.5 percent that is a jump of 13 points that's really good i do have to point out number two on this list carlos rodon <laughs> um, but the other guys on this list uh, luis castillo who's been great uh, matthew boyd who's been great luke weaver's been, pre- been very good very good uh, getting more strikeouts is you know, unless you get hurt like Rodon did, it's just about the best thing you can do as a pitcher. And there are a few notable changes for Giolito. He's added basically a mile per hour on his fastball from 92.4 to 93.5. Not huge, but still like it's still faster. He basically ditched his sinker, which was very similar in spin and v- and and velo. And he's gone exclusively with the four-seamer. And the four-seamer has actually seen an increase in spin rate from basically average to maybe slightly above, from 2100 to 2250. So that's like enough to be like, okay, that's a little bit different. There's some 
there's something different going on there. He's getting a lot more swings and misses in the zone than he had in the past. And as you noted, the um, the strikeout rate was way up. And a big difference is the, is the slider. It's really become a put-away pitch. He's got a 55.3% whiff rate on the slider. It was 36.8% last year. Um, and obviously, again, this is a podcast. You can't see it. But if you go to his player page on Baseball Savant, um, you can see uh, – heat maps of his pitches in the zone and you see a huge difference in the location especially to lefties where you're seeing him able to bury his slider down and into lefties and his fastball in on the hands to lefties and last year lefties absolutely lit him up to a 271 372 461 line with a brutal 58 49 strikeout walk ratio Mm. this year 182 247 348 with a 19 to 5 strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah. So the velocity is nice. Like obviously more velocity is always a good thing, but it's it's really what you just talked about in terms of the slider. Like the way he's the secondary pitches, the way he's using it, the way he's getting um, more strikeouts. I do have to bring up some question about the quality of competition that he's faced. I'm looking at his game log here, right? So his last time out, uh, one earned run in 7 innings, eight strikeouts. That's great. It's against the Blue Jays who can't hit. Previous time out, he threw seven and a third innings of shutout ball against Cleveland, and they can't really hit either. Uh, Before that, he gave up three runs to the Red Sox. Okay. He has had two starts against the Royals. Uh, One of them he left early because he got injured, but he has basically thrown nine innings and two runs. That's good, but the Royals can't really hit either. Um, uh, You're right. You're right. I'll take that back. I'll take that back. Hunter Dozier's been good. Alex Gordon's been good. I've been pretty good. Like I will take that back. I don't. They're not a feared lineup, but you're right. Um, But then he faced the Yankees and he gave up four earned runs in five innings, and he faced the Mariners and he gave up five earned runs in four and a third innings. I'm just saying. He's been good against lousy lineups, uh, except for Kansas City who's in the middle, I guess, and he's gotten hit hard by better lineups. Yeah, the uh, the AL Central can definitely mask right. some deficiencies <laughs> this year. You'll see a lot of probably in fantasy, you'll see a lot of guys streaming AL Central pitchers this year, and right. also the, the you know, some of the breakout pitchers this year in baseball happen to be on the Minnesota Twins. You've got Jake Odorizzi, okay. you've got Jose Barrios, Martin Perez, <laughs> uh, exactly. You've got Kyle Gibson pitching well again, and. They're in the AL Central, and they don't have to face the best lineup in the AL Central, <laughs> which is the Twins. So take that with a little bit of a, a grain of salt. I, I think I the, like new pitching, the new pitching coach is getting a lot of credit, but maybe the <laughs> level of competition in the division, because even the other good team in the division, the Indians, has a— The offense has not been there. Is, is not good. But yes, it is a very good point regarding Giolito. But even the, um, the indicators are at least an improved pitcher. Even at this point, if you could get— a number three starter out of him, and you're the White Sox. Oh, yeah. You're feeling pretty good about it. It looked like he was going to be like a, a, a bust. I like thought a, he was a triple-A guy. Four-A yeah. guy. So this is a, a very promising turn of events for the White Sox, considering he was the big piece in that Eaton trade. Uh, it was him and Dane Dunning and... Uh, Lopez. And Lopez. Yeah. Lopez is a bad guy, but... Um, over the weekend, Hyun Ryu almost threw a no-hitter, and he had, in his previous start, thrown a Maddox, which is a very rare and very cool thing. Do you want to explain what a Maddox is for people? It is a complete game with fewer, a nine-inning complete game with fewer than 100 pitches yes, thrown. it's fantastic. Um, our friend and colleague, Andrew Simon, came up with this really cool note about what Ryu had done. He has thrown three outings in a row of at least eight innings, no more than one run, and no more than four base runners allowed. So since the dead ball era, so basically since 1920, such a thing has happened five times. Ryu just did it. Clayton Kershaw did it in 2016. Clayton Kershaw did it in 2015. Cliff Lee did it in 2008. And Sandy Koufax did it in 1963. And that is it. Like, that is it. And Ryu, I feel like, constantly goes under the radar. Although I have to, I have to add a caveat here. I wrote about Ryu going under the radar over the weekend. And then I kind of looked back, like, through my own personal history. And I realized that in, like, 
the end of 2014 when I was writing at Fangars, I wrote about Ryu going under the radar. So I don't know if you can still consider him underrated if I keep writing about it. Five years apart. <laughs> right. I mean, but he disappeared. He got hurt. He... It, it was excellent timing by Mike. He <laughs> writes about how Ryu's under the radar, and then he could, proceeds to throw a no-hitter into the eighth inning. Almost no-hitter. Yeah. Uh, so he does feel like he kind of goes under the radar, and it's it's very clearly why. He just he doesn't pitch that much because he keeps getting hurt. But look at these numbers. They're awesome. If you look at all the pitchers who've thrown at least 130 innings since the start of last season, he has a 187 ERA. That is best. It's better than DeGrom or Snell or Bauer or Verlander. If you look at everybody who's thrown 200 plate appearances, uh, so that's 201 starting pitchers, he has the fourth best weighted on base behind DeGrom, Walker Bueller, and Blake Snell, the ninth best expected weighted on base. He currently has, and I know this is not going to persist, but it's really fun to say anyway, he has so far in 2019 54 strikeouts and three walks. That is a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 18 to 1. It is the third best in the entire history of Major League Baseball, in seasons of 50 innings behind Dennis Eckersley in 1989 and 90. So you could say of starting pitchers, it's the best in Major League history. I know he's not going to maintain that all year. I don't care. It's you, fun to say. Challenge. I think the, I think Cliff Lee has the record. Or maybe Chris Sale did it. I can't remember. I can't, I mean, there were some relievers like Kenley Jansen. No, I'm talking uh, sort of qualified. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, over the last two years, he's 143 strikeouts and 18 walks. And it's kind of fun because he doesn't throw hard. He has a 10th percentile fastball velocity. It's like 90 miles an hour. And he has 10th percentile fastball spin. Like it's not... Uh, you know, this elite moving or velocity uh, fastball. And it's not even like he's crazy good at avoiding hard contact. He's a middle of the road, 56th percentile hard hit rate. Um, but what, there's a couple of things that are really fascinating about him because, and I think this is because he's got such great command. He doesn't walk anybody. No starting pitcher pitches with the bases empty more often than he does, which is cool. And these names are really good. Uh, again, I'm combining 18 and 19 here. 70% of his pitches came with the bases empty. The next two guys on that list are Verlander and Tyler Glasnow. That's really good. And what was also kind of cool is you think about a lefty. Oh, he's really good against other lefties. He's fine against left-handed batters. He has the 16th best weighted on base uh, among starters against lefties. That's great. He has the best weighted on base against right-handed pitchers. Uh, of all guys who've had 200 left-on-right plate appearances over the last two years, just above Patrick Corbin, Chris Sale, Blake Snell, and Clayton Kershaw. Like, those are really, really good names. Uh, and... A lot of this is because his changeup is really good. Uh, it's essentially been the second best changeup in baseball, uh, dating back to the start of last year. And I, I say this, I, I know all of this is in fewer uh, innings than everybody else. Uh, just briefly remember how much he's gone through. Uh, he came to the Dodgers in 2013 through 344 innings in 2013-14. It's perfectly solid. But in 2014, uh, he got hurt. Uh, I went on the, uh, the then-disabled list with a shoulder issue. And then in August, he missed time with a hip strain. Did not throw any innings in 2015 because he had shoulder surgery. Threw four and two-thirds innings. That's one game in 2016 because elbow surgery. And then in 2017, he hurt his hip and he hurt his foot. And then in 2018, I am shocked this didn't end his career. He uh, had a left groin injury that was best described as, and I quote here, torn off the bone. That's not what you want. And he's already missed one start this year with a left groin strain. The fact that he is pitching at all, I think, is a minor medical miracle. And he's been really good. He's been insanely good. He's thrown a total of 610 innings in his career, and 344 of them came in 2013. And right. <laughs> and nobody pays attention to him because, you know, I get it. The Dodgers have so many big names, and there's Hill, and there's Bueller, and there's Kershaw, and I, I get it. Uh, and he doesn't pitch every day, and you cannot ever expect 200 innings from him in a season. It's not going to happen. But when he's out there... He's really good, and he just, he just never feels dominating because, uh, you know, he doesn't blow you away with velocity. He's got five pitches. They're all pretty good. Changes speeds. Like, he's an old school. I don't want to say soft tossing. He still throws 90. Um, but he is a lefty who, quote-unquote, 
knows how to pitch. Yeah, the uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can even you know throw 170 innings, you know, and then if he can sort of maybe stay in the Cy Young race, which right now consists of like him and. Luis Castillo and Chris Paddock and John Lester. Scherzer, I guess. Would Scherzer, although his, his, his ERA, even those peripherals are great, his ERA yeah. is still too high. Right. Um, I want to end on the Seattle Mariners here. And, you know, usually when people ask me about defense, I, I, the first thing I do is tell them, ignore errors because they're meaningless. You can't get an error if you're not even good enough to get to the ball. But in this case, this is one time where um, every old school and new school metric are all in agreement the Mariners defense is very bad. They have the most errors. They're last in defensive runs saved. They're last in ultimate zone rating. It's it's just not a good defense. The eye test would tell you that. Now, I wanted to find out why, and I, I think I found something kind of interesting here. So let's split this very briefly into outfield versus infield. The outfield is not good. Uh, they have minus eight outs above, outs above average. That's our stack cast outfield metric. That is 30th. Uh, Domingo Santana is the lowest rated outfielder by our metric in baseball. Smith and Bruce are a little below average. Hanneker's been fine. So the outfield is not good. We can move past the outfield. The infield, now this first part aligns with what I expected. I just looked at uh, team batting average allowed on ground balls. Uh, Texas has allowed the highest, 303. The Mets are second at 295. That, that makes sense. I wouldn't think the Mets infield is that good. Rosario is having a lot of problems. And, you know, Alonzo's been fine, but he's not a strong defender. And J.D. Davis is not a good third baseman. Uh, and then third, tied at 273, are the Mariners and the Phillies. That makes sense, too. We know the Phillies had a, a lot of defensive problems last year. They're better, but still not good. So I'm like, okay, great. This all aligns uh, they can't catch any ground balls. But this is what I thought was kind of interesting. I looked at the gap between batting average and expected batting average, which is basically looking at launch angle and exit velocity and trying to get to how often those balls actually turn into hits. As you would expect, the Rangers and the Mets are both way underperforming. The Mets are costing their pitchers an extra 46 points of batting average. Uh, yeah, it's not great. Uh, the expected there is 249 and the actual is 295. The Rangers are costing their pitchers 41 points of batting average, just on ground balls, remember. Uh, the expected is 262, and the actual is 303. I thought the Mariners would be right there, right in that mix. Well, there are five other teams on that list before I got to Seattle. They're underperforming by only five points. The expected is 268, and the actual is 273. That was shocking to me. I, wanted, I, I couldn't figure out why that would be happening. I think I figured out why it's happening. This is not a good infield defense, and I'm not going to pretend it is, but I think their pitchers are making life really really hard on them. Here are some interesting numbers. Um, I said on ground balls, the Mariners have a 268 expected average. Uh, that is baseball's highest. The Rays have 220. That's the best. The MLB average 248. The Mariners pitching is allowing the hardest hit ground balls and 87.8 miles an hour exit velocity on ground balls. Uh, Tampa Bay only at 82.8 MLB average 84.8. And I thought this was kind of fun too. The Mariners are allowing on ground balls an average launch angle of minus 10.2 degrees. That is baseball's highest on ground balls on ground balls so the ground balls they give up are higher so they might be more accurately like like, like scorching scorching line letter. drives or yeah. the, the the astros are at minus 14 are the the lowest and mlb average is minus 12 so like this isn't a good uh, infield defense like ryan healy shouldn't be playing third base he's only there because kyle seager is out uh and tim beckham is not a good shortstop and they've made moves to, to try to fix this shed long is up playing second base jp crawford's up playing shortstop um I, it's not a good defense and there's no reason to think it has been but i do think it's a little unfair Looking at that gap between expected batting average and actual batting average, I think some portion of the blame here has to go to the Mariners pitching staff, which is just giving up smoked rockets all the time. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? Uh, not much, I guess. Uh, yeah, Dive. Dive. Exactly right. Uh, that's our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thanks for listening.